Um, hate your mom. How you doing? Hate your mom. Hate your mama as I kick you in the face. But I love my mama. Hate your mom. She's as cold as ice. Hate your mom. Here's the deal. This isn't just a series about hating your mom. Obviously. This is a series about the words that came from Jesus' mouth while he was here on earth. What this is about is how shocking, how amazing Jesus really was. What this is about is maybe seeing Jesus in a brand new light that you didn't even know existed. It's about really trying to understand Jesus Christ and realize the fact that he's so much cooler than what everyone else has made him out to be. He's not so boring. And uh, he said some things that take some thought. He said some things that you can't just read them and go, oh, okay. Some things you actually kind of have to pour over and think about, take into consideration, really try to mull over in your mind. He said some things that were really, really tough. Some things that people read and they stop and reread again because they hope that it won't have to apply to their life. And he said some things that were extremely amazing that people read and were shocked to be able to hear something that's so cool. Jesus is amazing, and I hope you get that through this time. So without further ado, we start the very first message entitled, Hate Your Mom. And tonight, the very first message of the Hate Your Mom series is, Hate Your Mom. So you guys get it right away. How many people were kind of shocked and stunned when they saw what our new series was going to be? Anybody? They're like, what? Hate your mom. Kind of shocked? Semi-shocked? Partly shocked? How many people, when handing out cards to people, found people kind of shocked, kind of taken back, a little freaked out? Yeah. Yeah, today when I was leaving, when I was leaving the college, I met this girl. Uh, we met her last week. And um, I walked by and I'm like, hey, you should come to hate your mom tonight. She's like, what? And she turns around and she was really confused. So I got to explain it to her. People are really amazed when they hear this, the fact of Jesus Christ saying, hate your mom. Um, <laughs> maybe more people are just amazed the fact that a church was actually crazy enough to use it as a marketing campaign. I don't know. Um, quite possibly, we might still catch some crap for that. It's cool. We get in trouble. That's the way it's supposed to be. So like I said, this message series, though, is supposed to give us a peek into what Jesus was really like, who he really was. So j- did Jesus really say, hate your mom? I want you guys to take a Bible, if you have one. Go ahead and pick it up. And turn yourself to the book of Luke. One of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Go ahead and go to Luke 14. And we're going to read down in Luke 14, 26. I'll give you one moment. One moment. All right, now. Luke 14, 26, for those of you dyslexic. I'm joking. I'm joking. 26. Here's how it starts. It says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So I ask you, did Jesus say, hate your mom? And how? (laughs) He didn't say, hate your mom. He said, hate your dad, your mom, 
Go ahead and hate your wife, hate your kids, hate your brothers, hate your sisters, and even hate your life. He didn't just say hate your mom. That's a pansy. We put a, we put a pansy version of what Jesus said on there. People were shocked at that. How about when they shocked at this? Hate everything. That's just what it said. Hate everyone you like and even yourself. Hate it all. Hardcore. And how he said hate your mom. So that solves the mystery. I'll talk to you guys next week when we discuss yet another classic. T- no, I'm joking. There's more. Some of you guys, you probably thought that was it. Jesus really said it. It's not a lie. It was put on there for a reason. He really said it. And you guys are thinking, well, now what does this mean? And that's exactly what we're looking at. How do we understand what's actually going on here? You can't just read one passage in Scripture and try to decipher it. You need to read around it. You actually have to understand, you know, what's this all about? Do you guys know what Luke is about? Luke is about Jesus Christ. It's, it's a gospel of, of his life from beginning to end. Do you guys know where he was at at the time? Uh, who was he talking to? Doesn't this all make sense? Doesn't it all need to be known? And yes, and that's what we're going to look at. So here's the background. At this time, Jesus Christ had already came to earth. He'd already been conceived. He came as a baby. He's growing up. He's already been baptized. He's already went out into the wilderness where he got tempted and where he really uh, started his ministry. He already come back, and now he's in the period of time where he's walking around and he's telling people about the kingdom of God. It said his message was, the kingdom of God is near, repent. That was what his message was. This time he's walking around and he's telling people back and forth about the kingdom of God, how it's close, and how you have to get your life right. The other thing that he's doing at this time is a tremendous amount of miracles. This man is walking around healing the sick, people who are blind, people who are deaf, mute, crippled, people who have leprosy. And he's healing people left and right to show God's amazing power. So that's where this really comes out at. At this time, he'd already picked a few disciples. He'd went by and he'd asked a few people, point blank. He said, come, you follow me. You need to follow me. Learn what I'm saying. And people did. Other people just began to follow him. You think about it. There's a guy coming through and um, he talks about this kingdom of heaven and he talks about a revelation of what God is and what the afterlife is. And you see this man lay his hands on a man who is crippled and he stands up and walks away. Don't you start to think, maybe this is kind of real? That's what happened. Is people, were, people were watching this and they thought, man, I need to know about this. So now there's these large crowds of people both that he picked out and then other people who are just tagging along saying, I want to learn more about this. This has to be real. Other people who wanted to be Jesus' disciples, not just the ones that you saw him pick in scriptures. They began to follow because of what they heard and what they saw. <clears throat> and this is really where it starts at. Because Luke, Luke 14.25 says, Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. So there were a number of people who wanted to learn about him, following him, not just 12 disciples, but a large crowd of people following him, waiting for him to teach them. Okay? And this is where it starts. Luke 25, Luke 14, 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his sister and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Jesus was not weak. Okay? Think about this. They're following this man of God, this preacher. He doesn't turn around and say, how are you guys all doing this morning? 
Wow, that weather was really crazy, wasn't it? Hey, how's your family? How are your kids? How's life? Then go ahead and start telling you about how you're a good person. You know, I really see God in your life. Jesus turns around and the very first thing he says to him, you hear this? People are following him. The first words out of his mouth, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, mother, wife, children, he goes through, he says, you can't be my disciple. All these people who are following him. He turns around and he sucker punches these people in the gut, is what he does. You guys ever been hit in the stomach? You ever play a sport and get the wind knocked out of you? Where you get hit so hard where when you get up you can't breathe? You know where you try to breathe in, but you, you can't actually physically breathe in? He sucker punches these people. They were, they were expecting to follow him. He was going to turn around and lay out this beautiful picture of heaven. And he turns around and says, All you people who think you're my disciples, unless you hate these things, you can't be my disciple. Jesus is hardcore. That's how he started his message. He goes on from here. That's how he started talking to these people. People were following him, like I said, because of signs and wonders and awesome teaching. Don't forget that. I mean, Jesus was saying amazing stuff. But Jesus wasn't about telling half of a story. See, that's what a lot of us get nowadays. We get half of a story. And that's a cheap, cheap imitation for what reality is. Jesus was setting up this example to show the cost to be one of his followers. He wanted to show devotion that was necessary. He wanted to show the seriousness of what he was asking people to do if they said that they loved him. He says, hate your mom. He says, hate your own life. Now, some people would say, oh, there has to be something weird with this translation. What does hate mean? Is this some sort of different word when it was said back there? No, it's the same. The word he uses in this, from the, from the Greek when this was written, was the word meseo. The Greek word meseo, which means hate. It means a malicious and unjustifiable feeling toward others, whether toward innocent or with mutual animosity. Animosity, excuse me. The word hate, this very same word meseo that is used in this term towards your sister's brother's mother, your own life, is the very same term used a little while later in Scripture to represent God's hatred for sin, our hatred for evil things. It's the same word. It's no different. You know, some people like will talk about love and how there's different forms. This is the same word. A little bit later, a little bit earlier in Scripture, you're going to see the same Greek word used, and it's with an amazing negative connotation from God. Same word. The word hate used at this time translates to our nowadays language as hate. It's no different. When he said it back then, it didn't mean anything else. It meant the same thing. It meant hate. Just like we hear it. That's why it was used by Luke. Like I said, this is the same word that God used later and condemns this, this, this act of hatred. It talks about in other places in the Bible. Now, Jesus didn't just come out and say, hate your mom. Okay? It wasn't a command that he just put out there and went, all right, there you go. That wasn't, it wasn't a command of his. And this is where we get to look at it, is that obviously he's not just saying, you guys really need to hate your mom. Because God can't conflict with himself. We see later in scripture, um, actually even earlier, if we, if we go back, Matt 15.4, Jesus quotes from, from scripture, from Exodus. And he even says the words, he says, uh, 
for God said, honor your father and mother. He repeats it. He says, this is true. And he even condemns people for taking and, and twisting the scripture. So he can't be, you know, contradicting what he says. If he says in one, love your mother and father, then the next he can't say, hate your mom and dad. There has to be a reason for this. Here's the deal. Jesus is setting up one of the most hardcore comparisons you will ever see someone do. There are very few preachers in this world today who have the cojones, okay, to set up a comparison like this. Because anyone who did would be blasted on the news 10 minutes later, wouldn't they? If they literally came up and said something like this, I mean, that's hardcore. He was setting up a comparison because this made sense. You can't set up a comparison unless you understand it. Like, I can't say what something that I really know, like, how about, if I'm saying, this is a camshaft. You guys don't know what a camshaft is if you're not into cars. But I can say, it looks like a tube. Like, you know, like, a, like, a, like one of those containers of chips, but it's got bumps on it. Probably if I had one sitting there, you could get it, right? Why does a comparison work? Comparison works is because when you compare something, you have to use something that people understand. You can't compare one thing with another. I can't say, that camshaft, it kind of looks like a crankshaft, but it looks a little smaller than a crankshaft. You're going to say, I don't even know what a crankshaft is. Comparisons don't work unless they hit home. So why does Jesus use mother, father, son, daughter, your own life? Because it makes sense. Everyone understands that. I don't know how you guys feel about your mom and dad. I mean, I haven't lived your lives. Some people I know probably sit in the audience. I know Cassie was... Cassie told me about a funny person she met in the hall. She says, hey, I want to invite you to hate your mom. And the guy says, great, I already do. He's excited. I know some of you guys, and that's not what tonight's about, because I understand that some of you guys have had hard lives so far. I understand that. Some of you guys have tremendous hurt in your past with moms, dads, stuff like that. I mean, that, that kind of is your cross to bear. And um, I in no way, in no way take anything away from that. I understand how hard life can be. Here's the deal, though is that this comparison has to work because he used such a broad variety that you can find love in this, can't you? Even if nothing else, you could find love in yourself, probably, if you're so selfish to not love anyone else outside of that. But let me tell you, man, when he says this, it's hardcore. I love my mom. I love, love, love her. She's amazing. You know, my mom, when I was a little kid, I used to wake up and come downstairs, and uh, I'd go brush my teeth and stuff like that. And it is the cutest thing in the world she would take and she'd pour me a little glass of milk. She'd make me my strawberry Pop-Tarts. She'd put a little bit of butter on the back of them so they're really good. And it is such a darn cute story. She would cut those two Pop-Tarts into four pieces each, so eight little pieces. So they were bite-sized and they were just perfect for her little boy to eat. My mom is amazing. She is such a good woman. That's like the cutest thing in the world. I was thinking about it the other day. I'm like, I'm like, what about my mom that really just stands up? I'm like... She used to wake up and she used to cut my Pop-Tarts into four pieces each so they were easier to eat. That's love. She's, she's a, a beautiful woman. And when I think about that, I'm like, man, that, that's why Jesus said this. is because there's these deep feelings in our hearts like, man, when you talk about your mom, man, I have love, like deep love inside my heart. Not like surface love, but like a deep, real love in my heart for my mother. And that's why he used this. Jesus did this, like I said, because people have all these feelings. I mean, if you ask me right now, I'd give my life to save my mother, to save my sister, my father, people like that in my life. 
you know, I can't imagine, I can only imagine someday when I have kids, but to say, like, to hate your kids, I mean, my mom always says, you know, she'd give her life, obviously, for any of her kids, and these different things, this comparison. But Jesus is saying this, that if you want to be his follower, you have to love him so much that in comparison, your love for these people would seem like hate. That's the kind of hardcore comparison he's using. He's saying not that, you know, you love me enough that you just put me in front of them. Because that's what most people are going to tell you. And it's true. Jesus should be number one and your family and stuff like that. But Jesus is saying you should love me so much more than everyone else who touches your heart that when you compare the two, that love seems like hate compared to how much you love me, how much you adore me. That's a hardcore comparison. That wasn't weak. I mean, do you have any idea <clears throat> the reaction that probably came from these this crowd of disciples? Do you think everyone just went, oh, okay, cool. No, I'm sure some of them sat down and thought, holy crap, this guy's serious. He's not joking. I mean, he threw this right down in front of them. I told you already, and I'll tell you again, Jesus is not some boring white guy sitting on a cross with a little loincloth. This man is a commander of an army of a revolution. He didn't say, you know, like like I said, just some boring guy. He was the commander and he basically said, here's, here's the outline. You can't follow it, you can turn around and march the other direction. He laid it right out in front of these people. Like I said, he wasn't about telling half of a story. He was going to tell all of it. Straight up, no sugarcoating. He asked for an unwavering devotion like nothing else anyone has ever seen. Now here's the reason why. He could ask this. He could ask these things <clears throat> for one reason, and that's because of the message he had already taught them. He couldn't just say these things because who would, who would care? He said, well, love you more than my mom. I can't do that. And they'd walk away. But why could Jesus say this is because before this, he had brought them the message that he was telling everyone else about salvation. Some people might not know it. Truth of the matter, there are rules and laws in this universe that cannot be broken. One of that is that sin, the punishment of that is death. It talks about the fact that when we die, when we die with sin, we are sent to a place called hell, which is a place of weeping, gnashing of teeth, a place of horrible suffering. That's the rules. Because we are not pure, so we cannot go be with God. That is law. That is law. You cannot fight that. That's exactly what the universe says. But Jesus found a loophole, okay, that if he came to earth and he died on the cross, he could pay for every single one of those sins. So that when we put our faith in him, when we die, we get to go to heaven. All those sins get washed away, get covered by his death on the cross that he took for us. And when we die, even though we're dirty, even though we're wretched, we come into the arms of God and he can't see our sin because Jesus took it. Jesus carried it to the cross. You understand the fact that God's, God's entrance to let you into heaven isn't good enough. If you guys don't understand that, you can't be good enough to get into heaven. Here's, here's, here's the key, okay? You stand at heaven's doors, 
the only way you get in is perfection. Anyone have perfection? The only way you have perfection is Jesus Christ. Forgiveness in him means the fact that everything gets wiped away and you are perfectly clean in God's sight. That when you come to those gates, you walk in and you are welcomed into God's arms. That's the story he told them. That's mind-blowing. Because let me tell you, at that time, they were hearing the same crap that we hear today. The exact same thing. Religious leaders who piled one after another after another of these laws, of these rules that made no sense. And and Jesus said it himself. He said they didn't lift a finger to help them. All they had was all this garbage in their life. Jesus come and he offered one thing, himself. That's exactly what I'm telling you guys. Not about all that religion. It's about Jesus Christ. Faith in him. He told them this message and then he said this. And that's why it worked. Because he told them the most amazing thing in the world and then he told them one of the hardest things in the world right after. But the comparison fit because I've told you before and I'll tell you again, with anything that is tremendously great, there is tremendous cost. Don't let anyone tell you anything different. If something's going to be good, it's going to cost something. That's the rules. People all the time will say, Jesus is free, Jesus is free. You're right, Jesus is free, but he expects you to give up everything. That's the reality of it. He gives you this amazing message of salvation, but then he says, you know what? Your life's not going to be your own anymore. You have to hold on to me, because otherwise it ain't going to work. He gives them this amazing cost. I said it before. Um, we were talking um, in the past about, about freedom. Remember when we were talking about that in just a previous message, about how stuff costs, and we said about how amazingly beautiful freedom is, but how men time and time again throughout history have given their lives to protect that and to pay for that. I just saw a t-shirt the other day and it had a, whole, it had a picture of all the crosses and it said freedom bought and paid for and it had the picture of all that. The fact that those men gave their lives to pay for freedom. It's the exact same thing with Jesus Christ, with, with salvation. He talked about this devotion. He talked about, um, obviously, the whole story, like I said. Um, I want to read this for you. John 12, 25. You can write it down and read it later if you want to. He says, The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it and have eternal life. That's what Jesus says. Same kind of deal, isn't it? He has said, hate your life. He says, if you love your life, you're going to lose it. If you hate your life, you're going to keep it. Unlike many other places, unlike many other things, Jesus put out, pointed out the cost right up front. Can you imagine if like a credit card company did that? They'd never have business, would they? If right away they're like, oh, but by the way, we have the highest interest rates in the world. You are never going to get out of debt. You are going to carry this for the rest of your lives because you're going to overspend. No, everything in this world is always fed to us with showing you the great, and then sooner or later you find out about the bad, about some of the things that are hard, and you deal with it. Like I said, Jesus wasn't about that. He showed them how amazing it was, and right with it he said, but here are the costs. Go ahead and look at them. Count them up. Is it worth it? Jesus was saying that if you wanted to follow him and be his disciple, you might have to give up these people that mean so much to you. These very people he just mentioned. You might have to sacrifice them in order to follow what God tells you. Here's a great, a great uh, picture of this. He said this to these disciples who followed him, right? I know firsthand that two of them had already, already dealt with this in their life. When he turned around and said this to his disciples, two brothers thought, that's already me. 
Mark 1, 16-20 says this, As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting their nets into a lake. For they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When we had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Two of these men had already seen this firsthand in their life. Right there with their dad. He said, come follow me. Hey, they had to leave their dad. God might actually physically call you. Might actually physically call you to a place where you might have to even cut ties with father, mother, kids, wife. Who knows what God might have to do in your life. Hardcore, right up front, okay? This could be something like leaving the comfort of your family in order to do what Jesus is telling you. Um, you might have to pay the same sort of cost or sacrifice in your life. I don't know what God's going to have for your life. But he's put it out there saying, really count the cost. Actually, count it up. That's what this whole entire section is about. He's saying, count it up, look at it fair and square, consider it in your mind, and say which one you want. It's reality. And if you even read a little farther, we read uh, 14, 25 through 27. I want to read 28 through 30 for you. He goes on, and in the same phrase kind of here, he goes on to say, Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, That fellow began to build and was not able to finish. What he's saying is, he gave you this amazing thing, salvation, and he showed it to you, but he said, Count the cost. There's no point in even starting if you don't have the full, the full story. No point in even starting the walk if you don't plan on finishing it, because all you're going to do is get made fun of. Let me tell you, there's a lot of people who have claimed Christianity and gotten made fun of. Because a little while down the line, they weren't Christian, were they? It was just a lie. It was just a facade. It was something they thought they were, but they didn't actually count the cost. And when the going got tough, they fell flat on their face and people ridiculed them, saying, oh, there's that Christian. They put a bad taste in their mouth. So why would Jesus say this? Why would I say this now? It seems kind of hardcore, doesn't it? Why would I start a new message series for people who might not even know about Jesus Christ with something so hardcore? It's because it's real. Because it's not fake. It's not the game that you guys have been presented time and time again in your life. What I mean is this, is that Jesus has had his image twisted for so ridiculously long. Many of us, I don't think, even recognize who Jesus really is. We don't really know his true nature. But if we did see who Jesus really was, you'd fall in love with him like that. Immediately. That's why I tell you this. The world's going to tell you that you can follow Jesus one day a week. You can wake up on Sunday morning, put on your pretty clothes, go sing a couple hymns, and you can live your life exactly like it was before the other six days of the week. That you don't have to give anything up, that you don't have to be any different. You don't have to change any of your friends or any of your life habits. You don't really have to do any of that. All you have to do is just come and be part of this. And that's, that's being a Christian. That's, that's having Jesus. You can continue on as if nothing has ever happened different. No one even has to know. It's cool. Jesus said that you have to be willing to pay the price. Then you can be saved. He talks about reality, where there's going to be a price to be paid. 
for what's given to you. He says, here's salvation, here's the price. Cost it, like I said, just like freedom. He presents, but he shows the fact that you might have to do some stuff that isn't comfortable. You might have to live some stuff that isn't quite so easy. Here's what I say. I believe that this is exactly what our generation is grasping for, especially our age. I think even older than us and younger than us especially too. Here's what I mean is that our generation especially has seen firsthand parents, grandparents, family, even just the generations above us, even if you don't want to talk about your own family, who have lived fake devotion, who have lived fake religion. These are the people who talk like a saint one minute and will treat you like the devil the very next. These are the people who will continually, over and over and over again, tell you about Jesus Christ, tell you about religion, tell you about what their church does, but when you actually peer into their life, you see the fact that none of it even applies to them. Hypocrisy. That's what we've seen. Fake beliefs with fake results. Not real love, fake love. People who don't really care about you. Not real devotion, fake devotion. That's what we've got a taste of. I think that our generation actually wants reality. Something real they can sink their teeth into. Real devotion. Because when real devotion happens, guess what? Real results happen as well. Real love. Real passion. A change. Not the same. Jesus spoke of the cost only because he knew that the reward was worth a million times higher. He wouldn't have said all these, this cost if he didn't know the fact that even a fool could recognize the fact that the prize was worth way more than the cost. That's why he could say it. I say this, Jesus might not be the pious priest that you've always thought him to be. He might be a lot more hardcore than you might have suspected. Hopefully, he might even shock your perception a little bit. Here's the deal. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ right now, I really hope that what this does is is this is just going to open your mind a little more. Maybe Jesus wants a lot more from you than you've been giving him. Maybe you haven't really realized the fact that there is a cost, that you can't just continue going on to live your life the exact same, but you have to actually live a life of devotion. That you can't be that exact same person. Jesus said it. He turned around and said, Live it or go ahead and walk the other direction. Because if you're following me, you're just wasting your time. That's what Jesus said. Others, you guys might not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You say, I don't even I don't even really know about Jesus Christ that much. I don't really know his whole story. And if that's the deal, then you need to be- begin your relationship with Jesus Christ tonight. If you look at that cost, you look at that and you say, That's what I want in my life. You need to grab a hold of it tonight. You can't let it go. Weigh the cost. Look at what I said about salvation. If you don't know, talk to someone about it. People get all afraid to talk about something like this. You're talking about the most important thing in the world. Talk about it. So here's the deal. I want to pray with you one last time uh, before the end of this. But think about it, okay? Jesus is hardcore. Fall in love with this man. Understand it. All right. I thank you for tonight, Jesus Christ. And I just thank you... um, Lord, for not being, Lord, such a pansy, not just acting like um, this relationship with you um, 
just who you are that it's just a joke, but showing the fact that you really deserve, you really, uh, you really ask for complete devotion. You ask for people to really love you, to really live as if they love you. And I pray to you, Jesus, that tonight you would just put that in our hearts. I pray to you, Jesus, that we would just um, see your passion. Lord, as you turned around and you said to your disciples, um, if you don't hate your mom in comparison to how much you love me, it's not going to work. I pray to you that you would just let that resound in our hearts tonight too as we say that we might want to be your disciples, that we're searching. We think maybe, maybe you're the right one for us. I pray to you, Jesus Christ, that you would just let that um, just sink down into our hearts, Lord God. Continue to be with us. Don't ever let us forget this stuff, but let it just stay in our souls. And I thank you for what you're going to do through this. In your name I pray, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right.